Welcome to After Hours, an interview podcast series from Lady. I'm Laura McClaus Holmes, a fashion and cultural historian. So much of what I am seeking to learn about in these interviews is how cultural creatives have molded their lives and careers by following their passions, what choices they've made, where it's led them, how they created the lives of their dreams. The paths my interviewees have taken are quite diverse, but they are always driven by a depth of curiosity and enthusiasm that is outside of the normal constraints of society and business. Recently, I had the chance to meet with fashion designer Vicki Teal, who truly exemplifies this ardor for life. In my conversation with her, we covered many aspects of her life and business, how she built it and kept it going all by herself, the friendships and relationships that impacted her career, and the route that she's going now. A quick summary of her life sounds quite fantastical, but it is all true. As a teen, she began sewing and selling clothes in her high school, a side business she continued when she arrived in New York to study fashion design at Parsons in the early 60s. Living in Greenwich Village, Vicki was a central character of the downtown scene, working in the folk clubs, hosting raucous parties, and making clothes for up-and-coming singers. When Vicki and her good friend at Parsons, Mia, were told by a teacher that their clothes were too far out to ever sell on 7th Avenue, the pair decided to try their luck in Paris. Armed with Mia's parents' connections, her mother was the legendary model Lisa Fonsegreves, and her stepfather was Irving Penn, and their outrageous clothes, the 20-year-olds became immediate sensations in Paris in 1964. Quickly featured all over the French press, they were snapped up to be costume designers on the film What's New Pussycat? While shooting that movie, they met Elizabeth Taylor, who immediately ordered their very youthful clothes. Teal struck up a lifelong friendship with Elizabeth while falling in love with Taylor's makeup man, Ron Berkeley, who she then was married to from 1971 to 1986. The Burtons helped Mia and Vicky put on their first fashion show at Maxim's in Paris in 1968, which included a few designs by Elizabeth, and also helped purchase the building for their first store at 21 Rue Bonaparte. Though Mia left the business in 1970, Vicky maintained a shop in that location for over four decades. Teal helped establish a couture salon at Bergdorf Goodman in 1981. She became particularly well-known for her tight, ruched mummy dresses in the 1980s, as well as the red ball gown Julia Roberts wore in Pretty Woman. After 48 years in fashion, Teal closed her company in 2011 to focus on her perfumes as well as selling on the home shopping network. Her memoir, It's All About the Dress, What I Learned in 40 Years About Men, Women, Sex, and Fashion, was published in 2011, and she has a follow-up, The Absolute Woman, coming out in the fall. Full of enthusiasm and advice, Vicky was a delight to speak with. She's an intriguing mix of a good businesswoman, hopeless romantic, and a great girlfriend that you want to dish all your troubles to. Please head to our website to see images from throughout her career, clips from films she designed the costumes for, as well as a short article. Enjoy. Thank you so much for sitting down with mm-hmm. me. It's wonderful it's to my meet pleasure. you. pleasure. It seems like you're so busy. I mean, you're flying everywhere all the time and you live all over. Well, I have uh, multiple homes. Mm-hmm. I actually, uh, I have a home in Paris. I have a cabin in upstate New York. I have a farm in on the Florida-Alabama border. And I have a mobile home in a mobile home park next to HSN where I work on TV uh, three days oh, a month. Wow. So I got a place to stay there. That's, that's yeah. sounds like so a great life. Multiple homes and multiple lifestyles. So I get to be fancy in certain places, mm-hmm. be country, and I also have a beautiful farm where I raise chickens and oh. have my own fresh eggs. <laughs> Is that your main residence? Yes, yes. Nice. It's 40 acres, and it's on the Florida-Alabama border, mm-hmm. and uh, it's huge. It's a very huge place, and I have, uh, I'm on a river, 
and I'm one of only two homes on a river from Alabama to the Gulf of Mexico. There's only two of us, so I get to be uh, free on the farm and uh, enjoy nature, and it's a great place for an artist. I'm basically an artist. Okay, my mom Hudson. is from upstate New York. She's from Hudson, mm -hmm. an artist town. My mom was a painter. She just recently died, and uh, she's painted her whole life from 16 on, and she had one child, me, but basically I was between paintings. She lived to paint, and she had two husbands, and they allowed her to paint thousands of paintings, so she painted from morning to night, and I was sort of watching her paint most of my life. Was she a big inspiration for you yes. in knowing that you could go after Yes. Uh, there's a lot of artists in our family. Our family has, uh, we have even a, I have a one head fashion person who was Harper's Bazaar, who's a cousin. We, we tend, in my family, we tend to uh, be involved with fashion and love dressing up and being glamorous and beautiful. My grandmother, my mom, aunts, everybody in my family are beautiful women and love fashion. And I inherited it. Did they all support you wanting to go after fashion? Everybody's so busy with their lives, hardly anybody paid attention until I was well known. I, At the age of uh, 20, I was on the Johnny Carson show and they were... <laughs> They start with the miniskirt, and they were all like, "Woo!" You know, <laughs> somebody had done something different. Yeah. But uh, I started sewing at twelve, mm -hmm. and I recommend to everybody to uh, find their ability as a young person and and let have it speak to them. And when your ability, what you're passionate about, and if not, to do it later on in life. But it, the idea of living your dream, of following your dream, and exactly doing what you love is makes you the happiest person. Happiness gives you 10 years longer life. So if you can find the passion to do what you love young, and I started at 12, I love selling. So at 12 I sold my first skirt to the neighbors in Washington DC, and uh, from then on it was no stopping me. Do you ever have any fear of just jumping into your career? No, I don't, I'm not afraid of anything. The only thing I'm afraid of is I've crashed five cars because I'm always looking at the windows, and so I crash the car in front of me. I drive better in the country if I look at trees, but if I'm in a city and I'm looking at what people are wearing or what's happening on the streets, I crash the cars. So I generally have drivers. But that's the only thing I'm afraid of is crashing cars. I'm, I'm not afraid of anything. So you left Washington, D.C. and went to Parsons? Yes. To I, went to, I went to fashion school in Manhattan. I had already had a large group of women at school already. We had, in the 50s, uh, women were wearing these terrible clothes. They were really looking, really hideous. Lots of fun. Gigantic big things, big skirts, lots of crinolines. And it was really ridiculous, in a ri quite ridiculous moment in fashion. A lot of it based on Dior. He made this little tiny, in 49, he made this little tiny waist and had the skirts go way out with these gigantic crinolines, which really didn't suit modern women. But that's what my mom wore. She painted. She was wearing the, the big, giant, full crinolines. And so I came up with the idea of making clothes that were fitted to the body and uh, started selling at 12 to my classmates in school and then went to fashion school and opened a shop in my, in my apartment in Greenwich Village. And I got into leather, and I made the leather mini skirt. And so I really sold that well. It was 1961, two, three, and four, and I was doing a lot of the clothes for the singers in the village and also working in the nightclubs. I had a name called Peaches Latour, and I was working for a lot of the folk singers and, go, and uh, also going out with them, and uh, also Woody Allen. 
who went to Paris and did his first movie, What's New Pussycat, and I got to go to Paris, too, and do the costumes on the movie, What's New Pussycat. So that started my career. seems like you had such a quick... I mean, yes. Like, immediate success in yes. fashion and in costume design. Yes. Um, do you think that would be possible now? Or do yes. Just it depends on the personality, mm-hmm. but... Fashion is, is trendy. It always changes. And if you're right on the cusp of the trend and you see it and you believe in it and you make it, you, you have to go out and wear it and promote it. And absolutely. Uh, the biggest problem with that is wearing it and promoting it. Most of designers are artists and they're shy and they're not powerful personalities. I happen to have been a cheerleader in junior high and high and as a cheerleader, I went with all the football players and the basketball players mm-hmm. and all the boy athletes, and that gave me a great sense of strength that I was admired by all these popular boys, and that helped me. As a young female, I recommend, I have a granddaughter, to have interactive relationships with boys as very young, and understanding the mechanism of a boy-girl. That allowed me to then feel confident and go to New York City, and I immediately uh, got jobs passing the hat in Greenwich Village and going with all the, the folk singers and the people and hanging out with them, a much older crowd than myself, and, and dressing them. I got to make, you know, of course the end is to make money. Yeah. <laughs> and so I dressed everybody in leather. It was very expensive. I could get a lot of money for the leather clothes, and so I sewed leather clothes to all the folk singers. Of course, the boys had to take their clothes off, and I had to measure them. <laughs> which was fun. It seems like you're also not just confident about your abilities, but confident about your body, and that's so much about how the design... Yes. Well, the generation before me, as I said, was wearing these exaggerated clothing, and women had not really come into their own. They were girdled. They were bra- They had bras. They were girdles. The fa- This is in my book, the new book. It's all about feminine power. It's my book called The Absolute Woman. <laughs> because women had a long period of time when they were powerful. Women were powerful from 35,000 BC, when we lived in caves, when we walked the earth, you know, just like that. And men were not. They were, they would uh, hunt and fish and chop trees down and do things for us, but we were the rulers. Women ruled earth until 2,500 BC. And then men took over because we settled down in spaces and we had dogs and we moved in villages. And at that point, men were wandering. Maybe they weren't faithful. So we made, we invented religion. We invented the rules. We invented the Ten Commandments. That must not cheat on me. <laughs> and they became powerful. So the unit of a male and a female together, as opposed to wandering off men that would hunt and never come back, we'd get another one. But we ran the hearth. We ran the world. So we we have not run the world for a long time. By the time my generation came around, we're united. The Earth is a united place now. My generation came around in the 60s. It was like, what? You know, my generation, see our moms and asking dad for money. I mean, it was like, what? <laughs> it's not happening to me. And us, the 60s was also a sexual revolution with, I give it credit in my book, to Brigitte Bardot. I went to France and met Brigitte, Brigitte, and I was in shock by this woman. She came to my shop, and she, of course she wore no underwear. I made clothes for her. But her attitude and the way she, her first movie, and God created a woman, I'll never forget being 15 or something, coming out of the movie theater in Washington, D.C., and seeing Brigitte Bardot and going, oh, my God. So a new generation of women was formed by a few French women. 
and Jean, Jean Seberg, an American who went to Paris, who did the movie Breathless. So these two movies, my childhood generation, flipped out. And we were like, okay, that's it. Women run the show. And me and maybe 20 other women, 30 other women, we all said, that's it. In England, a few women were doing it. How do we start? By how we look, by how we're perceived. So we had to change how we were perceived. And to create power and to have power, we had to redo the entire garment thing, starting with our bras and our underpants. You know, we had to redo how we were and how we would walk down the street and be confident and not look like whores. You know, we were not whores. We were, you know, powerful. And the object of the women walking down the street like this, you know, it, it changed the world. Music changed. A society changed. We changed with the the black movement, Martin Luther King in the United States. We changed uh, with royalty all over the world, where royalty was no longer the power it used to be. The whole human changed by basically women changing everything. And this is something that's now, it's only been maybe 50 years. But now we're, in, we're almost in war, you know, over who's in charge. We want equal pay, we want all of these things. So this is what my new book is about, and this is what my life has been about, feminine power. And how you look and how you are perceived is the number one reason why people see psychiatrists. My best friend is a psychiatrist. She specializes in artists in New York City. <laughs> they, I said, oh, they're coming to see you to see about their husband cheating. Or She says, no, Vicki, the number one reason why people see get help is because they're concerned about how they are perceived. That means what they look like, what they're wearing. Mm -hmm. That's our job in fashion is what, what do I look like? Who am I? You're coming in with your vintage coat and your long hair and you obviously, and your mixed look of the long dress and the vintage thing, the long hair, and you can see you love fashion and you're saying something, you see? So you are, we're, you're walking into a room unknown and being everybody around you perceived. So this is what, we're in this incredible business of fashion, and I'm so lucky to have had one of the, I am the longest lasting female French fashion designer. I'm French because I went there as a child, and I've been selling dresses there 48 years, mm -hmm. and it's a very long career. One company nonstop for 48 years. It's amazing. It's, it's amazing, and I explained, and I'll tell everybody how <laughs> I did it, because I did not borrow a penny. Nobody owned me, nobody lent me money. If you sell three dresses, you take the money from the three dresses and you save something and then you make six dresses and then you make 12 dresses. And anybody can do that. You know, you make, you don't spend it all when you get the money from the six dresses. You save maybe one of them and you go buy and then you make 12 dresses, then you make 20 dresses and then you own your own company. You don't need money from anybody else. You got a little bit of investment for the taupe in the store, right? From, yes. from the Burtons? Well, Elizabeth and Richard met me in the set of What's New Pussycat? They were shooting next door. Elizabeth was wearing couture, of course, and she was wearing a suit that covered her knees. Her suit flared out. She had a fitted jacket. She took one look at me in a mini skirt with up to my thighs, and she was like, oh, my God. I look, I'm, she's only 30, you know. She's 10 years older than me. She was, I'm 30 years old. I look like a grandma. She wanted to get rid of all her clothes and have the new look. And so she introduced herself to me, and I started making her clothes. And she never put those old, old, old clothes on again. You know, she, she wanted to look young and fun. Mm -hmm. And we had a long relationship. We, she was going to invest in either me or Valentino. <laughs> <laughs> we were at the makeup table. I'll never forget. I'm just seeing her. She would do a few things, like 
maybe that my husband was her makeup man, but she might do a little touch-up. So she's doing like this, and she said, you know what? I think I'll do you. And I said, why? You know, uh, Valentino is going to be huge, Elizabeth. It's insane. And she said, well, you know, we're girlfriends, and we can gossip and carry on. So a big part of her life with me was girlfriend talk. We would travel everywhere. I would stay with her, and we would stay in hotels, and we would chat. And I learned so much. I learned so much. She was the world's most famous woman with Jackie Kennedy. Mm. And I learned so much about feminine power from her. And the main thing I did learn, which is also in my book, is that you don't need to be, well, she called all the stuck-up people be actresses. The more famous you are, the more generous and giving and loving you have to be. And people see it. And if you're stuck up, you don't get the return. Mm -hmm. You have a two-year career, you have a five-year career, you can be walking around like that. But to be loved, to be truly loved, you have to give back. And so her whole life was about helping people and looking after her. All the money from her fragrance goes to AIDS in Africa. Not even AIDS in posh countries, but AIDS in Africa. And to really help people yeah. that, that really need it. And she was for equality. 62, 63, she had a black man who who was in charge, you know. Richard had two guys that had been with MGM, the head of MGM. Elizabeth had a black guy, and he was in charge of, well, Elizabeth, you're going to go here, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. She, he was everything to her. And she was not interested in, in, in color, ethnicity, anything. She was only interested in a big heart. So I learned in my whole life, and I think that's the secret of my success of having 50 years dressing all these, the richest, most, you know, I've done all the Trump wives, mm -hmm. I've done Mrs. Biden, I've done you know, Queens, and Farrah Deba, Monte Carlo, all these type of people, because I just act like a regular person with them. There's no, there's no attitude coming out of me, and I learned all that from Elizabeth. So I was blessed at 21 to be with her for 24 years, you know. You must have realized at the time how lucky you were to sort of be oh, dropped yeah. into oh, all man. of oh, these man. famous yeah. people. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But my life, too, had been giving, had been the same. We were like sisters. Mm -hmm. My life as well, I'm from Washington, I'm from a well, wealthy family. My life, too, was all about helping people. If I made a dress for you, you would pour your heart out to me. You would tell me, the dress is for this, or the thing is for that, or Vicky, my boyfriend just broke up with me, and I don't know what to do. And I would sit down, and we would discuss what to do. And I would give them important advice. And my important advice was, is that nothing matters but being happy. If something makes you unhappy, just blow it away, and don't think about it. And in fashion, a lot of people, it's one of the main industries of suicide, <laughs> fashion designers kill themselves because they can't take it. Because they're so, I expected this and I didn't get that. You have four collections a year to prove yourself. The journalists all put you down, say terrible things about you, and then you have to move on. And so you go, and so it's over. You did the collections. Do the next one. What's coming up? What are we, we going to try to do next? And so Elizabeth had pretty much the same point of view. If her movie was a failure, you know, didn't get an Oscar whatever, you know, let's see what we can do. Even the woman who was, she'd broken up a marriage of this most famous actress in America, Debbie Reynolds, and stolen the husband, Eddie Fisher, and all she did was send presents to Debbie and <laughs> try to help her or help this one get a job. It couldn't care less if they, there was anger, and eventually when you aren't angry, back, that other person drops the thing. Mm -hmm. 
So I call it in my book, Don't Dance with Crazies. It's been my theme my whole life. If someone is not nice to you, if something doesn't work out your way, other persons, if you send any bully energy, any cruel energy, it goes away. You don't think about it. Bringing that energy to Paris at that time must have, to them, felt so new. I mean, I think they're quite often closed off. Yes, absolutely. The French and the English. Oh, especially the English. You know, it was a very strange time in the 1960s, and I befriended everybody. I opened a shop in London on Beecham Place with this lady. I dressed Bianca Jagger. I dressed the wife of the Beatles drummer. Ringo? Ringo's wife. Maureen. Yeah. Yeah, Maureen. Yeah, I did Maureen. We'd go to parties together. I had a date with Mick Jagger when I was a kid, <laughs> but I didn't. He was, I was in love with this folk singer in the village, and so we only had a date and moved on. But Bianca stayed friends with me forever, and uh, she's an amazing woman. And made, I made a lot of clothes for her. I did her after wedding dress to make a polka dotted. She wanted to have Marilyn Monroe's dress from Some Like It Hot, mm-hmm. but she wanted it in polka dots. So she got married in the church in Saint Tropez, and then I did her after wedding Amazing. dress. Wow. So I've done many, many wedding dresses. That's been a major business for me. I did the wedding dress for Anna Nicole Smith, the mm-hmm. actress who died. I've done wedding dresses for the mob wives, two or three mob wives in New York. Just really had a, a tremendous time in Bergdorf Goodman. I was there. I created the couture department. They didn't have one. Oh, wow. And I went in there and said, you know, they had had one in the 50s, and they closed it down. So in 1982, I said to them, please let me give me a chance. I would love to sell couture, which meant measuring, fitting, having a f- first fitting, and then finish the garment. So in and were they sew- the garments actually sewn in Paris? Or? Everything. I never had a sew- sewing in America. Mm-hmm. But the Bergdorf's had an alteration department. Yeah. When the dress came in for the final fitting, if we had something off, it would go upstairs. It wouldn't go back to Paris. Mm-hmm. But we had the woman for let's say three thousand, average three to five thousand in the early days. For three thousand dollars, you could have. I would draw your dress, measure you personally, bring in the first dress, bring in the dress basted. If you were a perfect size eight, no. But most women aren't. There's always generally something mm-hmm. bigger bust or smaller bust. So I would have a fitting on that part that wasn't a perfect size. And then send it back to Paris, finished, and then bring it back in. I'd had the couture department from, well, till I left. In, I closed in 2011 and went to work on television. 2011 from 82. So I'm pretty much 30... 30 years, 30, is it 40 years or 30? Uh, 30 years. 30 years, that's a good with the math. Yeah. And why did you decide to close in 2011? Uh, two th- I had gone to, I had worked my way up to being, well, the biggest cl- clothing business in Bergdorf, mm-hmm. and Neiman's was also on the side, the same company, mm-hmm. but I had monthly gone, worked my way slowly up to about over 300000 a month. I was at 330, topped at 330, but 280 to 300 for years. And all of a sudden, one day, 80000 in the month. I was like, what? Oh, my God. And I waited. I gave it two years. I waited. So that was around the time of eight, the... Oh, eight. Oh, yeah, eight. Wait, the yeah. Building recession. And, of course, I dressed Wall Street. I dressed all the wives mm-hmm. of all the Blackstone group and all these different groups. I was dressed their wives. And the wives would come in, and this woman, you'd count on her for five dresses. You know, some of them would have, I'll take it in every color. I had that a lot. Mm-hmm. And then they're getting onesies. And I'm like, <laughs> onesies. And 
something else happened too in 08 and 09, and that is, I would say it's maybe 11. By the time 11 came, 2011, I stopped and I went to work on TV and I left Bergdorf. Um, and my shop, I closed my shop and turned it into a pop-up business where we have pop-ups. Mm -hmm. The um, invention of the stretch pant, mm -hmm. the black stretch pant. Once the women, few of us wore stretch pants, those with who great butts and nice slims are here. But all of a sudden, I'm walking around in the airports, because I live in airports going to all these different cities, and I'm seeing giant butts in black stretch pants. And I'm going like, oh my god. And it was worldwide. If you live on airplanes, I'm sure you do. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, it's been five or six years. Now a trend would be a year. Two years, a trend. And it's over. This is not over. It's worse and worse and worse. Now you can cross the street and you can see a two-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 40-year-old, and a 70-year-old all in black stretch pants. Yeah, no one gets out of their leggings anymore. <laughs> It's planet Earth. Yeah. It's the costume for the planet Earth, mm -hmm. which means that we're ready to go to Mars. Mm -hmm. We're ready to leave Earth, <laughs> and we're waiting for the next thing. So really in fashion, it's all about inventing a name, creating a name that you can put the name on a bag or a toad mm -hmm. or a thing. You know, with, you'll build a brand, build yeah. a name. And all the designers today have to accept that and it's hard. And so there's musical designers. They'll take this one and they'll take that one and they'll take this one, and it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking for the artist who, you know, the, we had the great moment. You know, I saw that you worked with some of the other, Elizabeth loved Dea Porter, mm -hmm. and I'm friends with Zandra. Oh, God. Yeah. We're all girlfriends from the 60s. Mm -hmm. And we all hung out in the club in London. And it was on King's Road. It was a two-story club. Mm -hmm. And we all, everybody in fashion was on the King's Road and in this club, and Annabelle's was for like more boring people. It was posh, but it was not where the artists yeah. would go. So we were all on the King's Road, and a lot of them have died. You know, a lot of them have suffered the heartache. Who they don't, they hadn't moved on correctly. And so I'm so lucky now here, I get to do TV and I get to sell on TV. Did they come to you? Did HSN no. approach you or me? Yeah. And how is it going? Meditating. <laughs> what do I should do next? You love to talk, Vicky. Go on TV. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a perfect match. Perfect match. I love to talk. I love to to sell. I love to help. I love to explain. So I've been on now to start my seventh year. It must also feel kind of like a continuation of having the store. When you worked with women, you you were just explaining you heard so much about their stories. Yes. And then on HSN, don't people call in? And yeah, they call in, but better than that they have reviews. Mm -hmm. So at night, I get to look and I see all the reviews for the different products, and this one says, oh, Miss Teal, if you could only make blah, 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 because I'm wearing blah, 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 and blah, blah. And then my husband said, blah, blah, blah. Oh, if I only could have it in my purse, and I don't have... So all of the yes. night, you read, and you say, oh, I've never had the greatest day of my whole life, thanks to you. And it, I go, you're in a kind of crummy mood because of something happens with politics on TV, and I go, like, oh, the greatest day of my life. You know, some lady you say, where is she? She's in Kansas, you know. I didn't know that your perfumes are going to all of these people who wouldn't have had access to them before. And a, a connection to me. Mm -hmm. And a connection to Elizabeth. You see, because I talk on TV about the magical moment with Coco Chanel. And you haven't heard it, so I'll tell you. Okay. So, at Parsons, I studied history of fashion, and we learned 
everybody had to choose something as a subject, and I decided to write about Coco Chanel, how she was born in poverty, how she created this and that. She created jersey. She created sportswear. She invented all these things. So Elizabeth knew how much I loved Coco, and in 1971, she did some event in Paris, and Coco did, designed her gown. She got to meet her, and they fell in love. Coco was about to die. She was going to live maybe two more years. So she said, my partner with my little dress shop loves you. Could you have dinner? And the two of us talk at dinner. And she said, absolutely. And Coco could not speak English very well. Elizabeth couldn't speak French, but they worked it out between the two of them. Enough cl clients that are American that Coco knew enough to. Now, she sold her dresses. She worked till the day she died. And if you wanted to meet Coco, you had to spend $10,000. You had to go to the desk, give them $10,000, and you'd go to the dressing room, and she'd sit with you. She'd measure you. <laughs> she'd talk with you, what your dress is about. She'd draw it for mm. you. And then the people would come in, and they would help make the dress. I mean, it was like what I learned to do myself. Mm -hmm. So we get to go t to dinner with Coco Chanel. Alexandre, her hairdresser, mm -hmm. threw a little cocktail party so that there'd be people around us, and we had a certain table for the two of us to sit, a little table and two chairs around it, like a love seat, and we sat there, and Coco talked, and Elizabeth presented me. Now, I went to this party to meet Coco in a totally see-through dress. It was all beaded, but I was totally naked underneath. I had shaved myself down there. <laughs> I was flawless, and I had uh, an incredible piece of fabric with pearls running across in the shape of birds. And it was from 1920, and I had sewn it together really quickly so that like a little mini see-through lace mini dress. Coco took one look at me, and she said, Qu'est-ce que vous êtes? Une femme ou un enfant? What are you, a woman or a child? And I went, I'm you, but young. <laughs> <laughs> Loved it. So then we had the dinner together. We all sat there with you know, plates eating like that and the three of us, Coco in the middle, and then she grabs our hands, and she's rubbing our hands like this here, and she's doing this, and she says, Mademoiselle Vicky, she says, you are a designer, but not forever, no, no, not forever. Make a perfume forever, like this, and she grabs Elizabeth's hand, and she does the same thing. You're an actress, but it's not forever, it would be, obviously, I mean, women actresses have such a short yeah. period of time. You make a perfume is forever, and so who is like, oh, God, oh, am I going to make perfumes? So that Coco died a year or two after that. And Elizabeth and I, about six or seven years later, said, okay, we could smell it, you know. And then we start working on the perfume. She signed with Elizabeth Arden. Elizabeth's perfumes are the largest selling perfumes in the world. I think like $100 million a year. And most of it goes to AIDS in Africa, all thanks to Coco Chanel. My perfume, I dresses as sort of, Whatever, my perfume, I don't ever have to worry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I make perfume forever and ever, and when I'm dead, they'll be selling my perfume. All over the world, they sell it in Afghanistan, I've gotten things, Turkey. These people sell my, my perfume in Turkey. That's amazing. In the airports in Dubai. Crazy. Coco. <laughs> 
What a wonderful story. I mean, what a wonderful moment. It was the greatest experience, the greatest moment of our of our two lives was the meeting with Coco and Elizabeth's children. All work on the Elizabeth Taylor Foundation, which is all about investing the money from her fragrances. You mentioned Jersey when you were talking about Coco. In the early seventies, you were known for using yes, a lot of Jersey. Yes, I've always done Jersey, but Coco did invent the material, mm -hmm. the wool Jersey, the stretch. She's the first person to make sportswear. Nobody. They claim that Claire McCardle in America did it. In school, we'll learn that. Mm -hmm. But actually, Coco made jersey pants. She made jersey tops. She invented the idea of making two pieces, a top and a bottom, and she was the first person to walk around with pants, black pants. Was she your, if you had to talk about any influences, would she be oh, one yeah. of your biggest? Oh, my God. Elizabeth and Coco. Yeah, absolutely. Those two women, and powerful. Everything was their own money. They never took money from any man, ever, ever. So Elizabeth had, she was telling me all the gossip, you know. She had this guy that was the richest man in the world that was in love with her. The one with the airplanes, Howard Hughes. Yeah. He was in love with her. And she said, oh, she said, oh, Vicky, I knew a guy like that. He was going to try to, you know, pay for things. And then she had Mike Todd, who everybody thought was really rich. He was always struggling all the time to pay his bills. Elizabeth always had millions and millions in the bank. In your first book, it's all about the dress. You mentioned that your father told you that... No sex for shoes. As a woman, you should always make your own money. Yes. Is that what sort of helped yes, give absolutely. you impetus to... Absolutely. When I went to fashion school in New York, my father rented me a floor-through brownstone in the village, which later was taken over by one of the Beatles. It was a pink brownstone, and it had three rooms with two fireplaces... And I hung the clothes on the fire on the brick fireplaces that when I was sewing, mm -hmm. and it had a yard in the back, a garden with a brick barbecue. Sounds beautiful. I was 17 years old, <laughs> and I threw major parties in there all the time, and all the folk singers from all the whatever they knew that Friday night or Saturday night, whichever I would decide that week, the word would be passed out that Vicky's having her party, and it would go on till morning. Mm -hmm. And I had the most wonderful. Time. So my father's, I think I was paying 175 to 220 in those three years in the village. I had a motorcycle, and I would go from the parties that I threw and, on the motorcycle and go up to fashion school and arrive in a cocktail dress, completely drunk and hungover, <laughs> on my motorcycle. I definitely did things like that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so my father, at the last year, uh, Mia, my partner, who's the daughter of Irving Penn, this very well-known mm -hmm. photographer, me and I had talked about going to Paris, and Daddy said, do you know how much you cost? And I said, no. And he said, well, you, you cost 25000 last year. You cost me $25,000, and you better make that in your first year. And I went, okay, no problem, and I did. I made, I think, much more than the 25000 in the first year, and then I sold our life story. We never had a movie made, but it's in the works now that we're going to maybe have a movie made about me and I in the village and in going to Paris, uh, uh, talking about three or four part television show uh, based on me and I, but we sold it for $150,000. So that's where we got our money to buy the shop by selling our life story to uh, a producer who then never made the movie out of it mm. because he lost his job at Paramount. But we did get the money, so I got to tell my father that me and I just took in $150,000. It was the second year I'd left. <laughs> it was 60. 65, and that year we signed contracts everywhere. 
but the point is, if you're doing the story about me, is that I believed in myself. Mm -hmm. I worked so hard. I could party, but at the party, I was passing out cards. I was telling everybody to come to my shop, and I would wear these outrageous leather outfits that everybody wanted to wear, and then I would be the own advertisement. So you have to work so hard and promote, promote yourself and believe in yourself but in anything in the arts, in anything. And then writing, okay. So I'm totally uneducated. Totally. I'm a fashion student from Parsons. No education whatsoever. You know, BCC High School in Maryland, a cheerleader. Total D student. Straight across D's, D's, C's. <laughs> the worst student. All of a sudden, I realize I've had a cool life. I better write about it. I've never written anything, ever. I get up a pen. I said, oh my God, i got to write about all these things that happened. It's so awesome. And I start writing, and I love it. It's so great to write. It is. Yeah, it's just another outlet for it's, your creativity. It's so awesome. I had no idea. And it's a perfect job for an older person. So this is my last part of my book, is find your dream job for life, part two. Mm -hmm. We're going to live to be 100. We're going to live to be 110. got to do something. So start thinking about that in your 50s. What is your dream? And everybody has to come up, and mine is writing television and writing and helping other people writing and television based on helping people with advice with cool advice and if somebody doesn't like it if somebody doesn't like what you say if somebody doesn't want to care about it as they say in French mon fou. <laughs> other than really believing in yourself what are some of the other things that you think that women should really know I have a chart that I'm going to give out when I do the book also this chart will come to everybody Ten points to achieve feminine power. Follow your dreams. Don't dance with crazies. Conceit is self-given. Be careful. No sex for shoes. You are what you drink. You're 80% liquid. So drinking is a very important thing. You should drink, really be careful and drink no Diet Coke, no nothing. I have a whole chapter on drinking. When you wash the dishes, wash the dishes. That's Ram Dass and Buddhism. Be here now, live in the moment. So I don't use machines. I wash the dishes. I do everything by hand, slowly, and I'm in the moment. I'm living yeah. in today. Fully present, yeah. Fully present. That's the one thing I take out of this. Marry the man who really loves you. And I have many chapters on this, maybe four or five. We all fall in love. And there's all kinds of romance in our lives, but we know someone is madly in love with you and loves you to death. Marry that guy. Marry the man who loves you. Don't marry someone who could love you, loves you okay, but you're not sure, but he's fabulous and gorgeous and you've achieved to get that guy. Mm -hmm. Marry the man who loves you the most. And that's a really important piece of advice because I find when I've made all these ladies clothes all my life, they've gone for somebody fabulous, they're fabulous that moment. But then it fades, and that guy didn't really love them. He just loved that they were fabulous at that moment. But you know when someone really loves you, you know, and that's the man you marry. Be yourself, everybody else is taken. <laughs> that's a famous expression. Don't be concerned how you're perceived by others. If you love soft dresses, wear them. Dress how you like to be perceived. Work on the jobs that make you happy. If it's repairing cars or flying airplanes or teaching, you know, be yourself. Mm -hmm. Live for love. Love every second of your life. God is love. And that's what I tell women on TV when I sell my perfume. 
I say live for love. Love every second of your life. God is love. Love every minute. Don't ever be unhappy. For one little tiny second, be happy. Live for love. Is that cool or what? Yeah, that's great. For personal peace, become one with nature. As I've aged, I love my farm. And I see New York, Paris, I'm enjoying the two cities, but for days, but not for weeks. Mm -hmm. So as you age, I'm 74. As you age, being in nature, being with the trees, being with the animals, that's fantastic. I'm going to hand it out, and when you buy my products in the future, it's going to have a chart, and I'm going to put that in the box with the chart, with everything, so that everybody has my list of how to be happy. In your first book, it seems like you've had a lot of romance in your life. Yes, nonstop since I'm about 10. And that also a lot of what you've designed has been about making women look beautiful for the the opposite sex. Yeah. There's women all my life I've had friends who have not been into men. Mm -hmm. It's not unusual, especially in the arts and in big cities that I've lived in. I guess making them feel attractive. It's more about making someone feel attractive for For everybody. Desirable. Yeah. Yeah, desirable for whoever you desire. And having a, having a perfect love life and having sex makes you live longer and feel younger. Elizabeth told me that. She, she's the one who's, who really convinced me about sex. She said, always ha- have sex, always have lots of it, don't make sure the man's crazy about you. She taught me those things. She taught me to marry the man who loves you. So a lot of the things I'm saying and that I believe in are from Elizabeth. Don't forget I was 21, she was 31, she was the biggest woman on the planet, and I'm getting to be with her all the time. So she taught me, you know, if she could have written a book, Elizabeth would write this book. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful that you can pass on that advice you learned from her. You're looking for a publisher, right? No, or I got my publisher. You've got a publisher? Well, I was okay. with St. Martin's Press, okay. and I don't know who the, my agent is getting, but she said she's got somebody else because it has to be fast. St. Martin's Press can't do this until spring, and we want to launch this for my 75th birthday, which is October. Mm-hmm. We're going to launch an HSN. And I had put, it's all about the dress on but I was my first day on HSN seven years ago. I put the book on. I sold two thousand copies. So hopefully we'll we'll sell in the tens and twenty thousands mm-hmm. of the this book, and then it'll go to bookstores. And I hope to write many more books. I really enjoy writing, and I'll to see what the feedback is and what subjects I need to cover. But I find that women trust me when I talk on television. They buy my products because they trust me. So maybe they'll trust me for advice and help and mm-hmm. getting their lives. I think I can help 10,000 women or 20. Mm-hmm. We have 95 million people that will be watching HSN and QVC. Wow. So I've gone from dressing the Ivana Trumps of the world to... Yeah, from the, so the very elite yeah, to the mass. To the mass and helping the mass. And there's no reason to do clothes for them because they all, you know, I did my wrap dresses in the first three years. And I don't see any clothing uh, selling right now. I think the idea of you have your fun fur, the idea of a fun outerwear maybe, and I'm not an outerwear mm-hmm. designer, but who wants to wear anything else but stretch pants? I mean, it's so comfortable and wonderful, right? I don't wear them other you know, than when I'm working out, but it's just a personal choice. Yeah. I feel more comfortable in a dress. Yeah. Um. I love my stretch pants. and <laughs> I, I'm on planes, in and out of planes, carrying bags, my I, I really enjoy them. I have my dresses for television. When I go on TV, I wear a dress, but it's just over. You know, for me, the idea that Bergdorf Goodman we're going to recreate and some new fashion's going to come along, and we're going to, and then thrift wear all the old vintage. Yeah. So we have maybe a thousand Vicky Teal vintage dresses on 
between the real real and first dibs, we have a thousand dresses that anybody can buy of mine. It does seem like you've created the ideal perfect life for yourself now, you know? Mm -hmm. all these, you get to live in all the places that you love and but most, spend most of the time in the country and mm -hmm. write. And mm -hmm. I have a log cabin upstate New York in the top of a mountain above Hudson, New York. Well, actually in the Catskill Range. Elizabeth's daughter is down the road. She has a farm with her horses. Nice. And Whereabouts in the Catskill? We're way up on the top of the Catskill Mountain, near the town of Catskill. Love it up there. So I have a log cabin. It's mm -hmm. very log cabin, log cabin. Outside on the inside, big fireplace, and all you do is sit around and write. You know, it's a fun, it's a fun place. I have my fashion archive there. I have a room with all of my gowns, one of everything. Oh, wow. One bedroom is just nothing but stored gowns so that I have everything in case I ever had an event in New York. Mm -hmm. I may ever have a vintage event. He let you know if I have a show in a, you know, an FIT or Parsons or something like yeah. that. I have everything. I have one of all the clothes that we've ever... I even have the dress I wore to meet Coco, the see-through <laughs> lace dress <laughs> was naked underneath. <laughs> Of all of the things that you've done in your career, because, I mean, having a company in Paris for 48 years and, <laughs> and now a huge perfume line that's in front mm. of us right now, what, what are you most proud of? I don't know. Nothing. It's everything. <laughs> not, I don't think about things like that. I'm not really, you know, I'm blessed. I call in the deep south where I live mm -hmm. now. I, they say I'm blessed. I've been blessed, you know. I've been blessed my whole life. I'm very lucky. And I have no idea why or how, but if I, in giving advice, I would say that the thing I'm the most proud of is the fact that I love to work, that I was blessed to have the job as an artist and to be able to succeed financially as an artist without having to get money from other people. Mm -hmm. That many artists struggle and they have just no way and they say, well, I'm going to, you know, like Van Gogh, I mean, he didn't do anything until he was passed on. And I believe in this, I believe in this, I'm whatever, and I'm a practical artist. If I'm not going to get any money from that, I'm going to draw something else, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> until I find something that they want to buy. I'm a practical person, and uh, I don't take myself over seriously, you know, I just am always trying to be happy. As you know, I wrote a book on Thea Porter, and I've done mm. a lot of research yes. on a lot of designers. And they're all my and they known. so many of them, they're you know they lost their businesses. They just weren't good business people. They made yeah. the wrong, worked with the wrong investors. It's really wonderful to hear a story that I've never had who actually an succeeded and did yeah. what they and never had to go against their own ideas. You know, you just stuck to your vision. My father said, you have you make six dresses, you sell five of them, you save the money on one. Then you sell seven, ten dresses, and you... And you and I, a lot of people don't know how to do that. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to make the line down the middle and say, okay, I'm saving this, and I'm not used spending that. No matter what anything happens, that's going in the bank. And then, and I never had to borrow money. I've never borrowed any money. Yeah. So it all comes from selling, selling, and then putting some in the bank. And that's why you've been able to have such yeah. an incredibly long, wonderful yeah. career. Elizabeth, did, she helped buy the shop with me. She bought mm -hmm. the real estate. In exchange for the real estate, she wanted dresses for life. So I would always go, okay, dresses for life, you know. Mm -hmm. And now her daughter, Liza, I've made dresses for Liza. If she had, you know, she has sons. But if she had daughters, I'd make dress, dresses for life. You know, anytime I make dresses, you can have some of them. Mm -hmm. And Elizabeth, you know, did for 30, 25 years <laughs> dresses for life. But... No investment, no no bank ever gave me any money. Banks don't give, in France, they don't give you money. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Well, I, I know you have to
to go, but thank you so much oh, for sitting down with me. Thanks again for listening to this conversation with Vicki Teal. If you've enjoyed this conversation, I heartily recommend that you check out Teal's memoir, It's All About the Dress. We have many wonderful conversations coming up in the next few weeks with photographers, directors, and fashion and textile designers. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode. All episode materials are available at ladyworld.tv and on our newsletter. See you next week.